You have taken a wrong step, if I may say so. If I have been given time... You may not say so, my Brandt. The treatment of all civilian suspects is entirely my affair. And there is no time. My immediate aim is to see to it that not one single RAF evader gets in or out of this area. It's something of a shock, sir. I'm sorry. A demonstration is sometimes necessary. And yesterday's friend can so easily become today's enemy. Would you not agree? Hello, Martin here for the last time today, I promise, to introduce the final of our three exclusive new interviews with the principal cast members of Secret Army. This time, Andy is talking to Kessler himself, Clifford Rose. Fervent Nazi, Sturmbannführer Ludwig Kessler is introduced in the very first episode of Secret Army as the man who will stop at nothing to destroy the Brussels-based evasion line for good and, over three series, became one of television's best-loved and iconic baddies. Along the way, he is promoted to Standartenführer and gains a mistress in Madeleine Duclos, played by Hazel McBride, who serves to humanise Kessler, offering us deeper insight into his character, ensuring he is never one-dimensional. At the end of the series, Kessler and Madeleine flee Belgium, and What Happened Next was picked up two years later in Kessler, the 1981 sequel to Secret Army, which takes up its story in the early 80s as he is tracked across the world to South America. Classical actor Clifford Rose, a stalwart of the Royal Shakespeare Company, is best known for playing Kessler. Other major television roles have included Jacques in Roads to Freedom, Dr Snell in Callan, journalist Quintus Slide in The Palaces, fearsome schoolteacher Mr Jonas in How Green Was My Valley, as Charles Burton opposite Pamela Salem in Buccaneer, the villainous Rorvik in the Doctor Who adventure Warrior's Gate, Professor Gracie in Fortunes of War, and another SS man, General Heinz Kammler, in the miniseries War and Remembrance. Rose is still acting today and recently played the Dean of Windsor in The Crown. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Clifford Rose, who played Kessler. Clifford, wonderful to have you with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm very glad to be here. I'm waiting for some questions to be fired at me. <laughs> yeah, I have lots of those. I won't good, disappoint. Good, good. I hope I'll be able to answer them. So I just want to ask with the obvious first question, which is, how do you think you got the part of Kessler? And was he your first villain? No, he wasn't. And I think that's possibly why I got it. I've always thought that my performance in a series called Callum with Edward Woodward um, about a sort of security agency, um, sort of spy through a type thing, in which I played a very sinister psychologist who, who, who tortured people under drugs to get the truth out of them. A very nasty character indeed with glasses as well and um, in fact one of the other characters in the series referred to my character I remember very clearly in one episode as that breastfed Nazi when of course he wasn't he was English but I mean uh, I think that sort of um, sort of gave a hint 
And I, I'm pretty sure that's where it came from, from having played that in, in Callum. Uh-huh. I think so, anyway. When I, when I went up to about the part to um, be interviewed by Gerard Leicester, the producer of Secret Army, um, there seemed to be no question about sort of wondering whether I was right for it. I mean, he, he spoke as if I got the part, and I left his office after about a quarter of an chat with 12 scripts in my hand, which is sort of never happens when you meet a, a mm. producer, director, and you come back with all that number of scripts. It's pretty extraordinary. There was one other actor in the running, I think, who was my sort of main sort of eminence grease, really, but he didn't get it. That was Michael Shear, do you may know how I mean, who used to also specialise ah, in the German part. I didn't know A very good actor, extremely good actor. And he um, he also wore sort of uh, rimless spectacles quite often in things he did, but he didn't get it. So uh, that's oh. I, I'm pretty sure that's why I got it. I yeah. never knew that. And had I played any of his before? Yes, I played in How Green Was My Valley, I played a nasty Welsh schoolmaster who got beaten up in the playground, amongst other things, because he was so unpopular. He was an awful man, a bit of a sadist, and um, uh, pretended he was not Welsh, but that he was English. And when he was beaten up in the playground, he came out with a stream of Welsh, which, of course, I had to learn. <laughs> it was very, very hard. And I got a, a very nice, friendly Welsh actor who lived nearby to coach me in this speech, which I can still remember. <laughs> Okay, wow. It was indelibly imprinted on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. The Huado of our Daithos, the Barro Wito Heed. Whoa. I do remember, yeah. Fantastic. Some sort of sharing, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that, that was another part. So I had, I had lots of um, track record in, in headers, yes, I did. So did you have any initial sense that Secret Army was going to be anything like as successful as it became? No, I didn't. It was clearly good. And it was obviously going to be popular and, and have a decent audience. But I had no idea it was going to be quite so popular as it actually turned out to be. And it went to, you know, two and three series. Because initially it was only one, of course. Yes. And, and then it went to two and then it went to three. And then finally you had the spin-off with Kessler, which was lovely for me. This is useless. I don't know much about them, Bishop. That's a lie. Well, it proves one thing, that we were right to follow you. So you'll change the subject and you'll tell me what you were doing by the river after curfew. I forgot the time, until your officer spoke to me. Who had you gone to meet? No one. I'd gone for a walk. Do you know why you're being followed? No. Because we know there's an escape line operating in the city for airmen. And we know that you are an important member of it. No. So how did you arrive at Kessler performance-wise? Bernard Hepton said that to play Albert, it all started with the moustache. Yes. Did you have any accessory or prop that suddenly turned you into Kessler? Well, yes, I think I did. Um, I, I, in my very first episode, with, in, in series one of Secret Army, I first appear, I had a cigarette in a cigarette holder, which I, I'd asked for because I thought that was a very nice prop, very useful, because it's something you can play off in scenes. You know, you can play down to it or looking at it and not looking at the person you're talking to. It's a very, very useful prop. So I had that. That was one prop, which was rather useful. 
I gradually sort of got used to not having it later on. Um, and I sort of stopped smoking, I suppose. Uh, and, the, and the other thing, of course, was the glasses, the the, uh, the rimless glasses, the sort of trademark of, I suppose, the nasty German. And um, they, they were obviously very, um, well, characteristic and very sort of, um, they, they give a very strong image of a man who is um, efficient and rather cold. Yeah. So um, did you have any concerns from the outset that Kessler might become two-dimensional? Um, yeah. Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, very much so. Because in the first series, he was simply, well, not simply, but he was mainly just the villain, you know, the nasty one. He seemed to have no redeeming features, whatever. I mean, he was fine. He was, he was, not, he was not dreadful, but he was, he was ruthless and he was um, yeah. efficient, basically. And he did his job. And but then, as the series went on, I and mean, it was clear we were going to have another series. Um, well, it was actually my wife, I think, who suggested this. Uh, he, she, she said that Kessel must have some sort of relationship, because only by, by that can you find out more about him. And I mentioned this to Jerry, and she, he said, "Well, that's exactly what we're thinking of." And so, indeed, that happened. And they gave me a mistress in the form of Madeleine Duclos, um, who I met in a bar in Brussels in, in one episode, and we sort of got on well together. And um, that became a, well, it became a, a partnership, which went on right to the end of Series 3, when they yeah. got the Germany together at the end of the war. Yeah. Um, and that was, the, well, the making of the character in, in terms of making him interesting. Because clearly he, he had another side to him. I see that my colleague, Meyer Brandt, is also in the restaurant with his wife. She's visiting him from Berlin just for a few days. I hope they won't want to join us. I don't feel like making polite conversation. I think that's unlikely. She comes from a military family and will almost certainly find an officer of the SS beneath her dignity. <laughs> Ordinarily, I'd make a point of embarrassing such a person and their idiotic pretensions, but... But I quite like Brunt. And he's a most reliable officer and colleague. Please, let's just stay alone quietly, Ludwig. Yes, of course. And that, that was based on a lot of reading I had done about um, Gestapo officers and people working for the secret police in, in Germany during the war. I, I looked it all up in the Imperial War Museum. Mm. I went there quite a few days and got a lot of records and diaries and things from people who had done that. And it was very interesting to see that quite a few of them, not all of them, but quite a few of them were ordinary sort of family men, you know, with a wife and two or three children, who they clearly, um, you know, liked or adored even, yes. And uh, it was an extraordinary, um, well, it, it was quite enlightening, really, to, to know that they were not just one-dimensional thugs and villains, you know, they had another side to them. So that was a very worthwhile addition to the character, really. The relationship with Madeleine Duclos. The majority of your scenes um, were with Michael Culver to begin with. How was he to work with? He was wonderful. No, he was wonderful. We got on very well together. And um, but we said, before we, because we were cast long before it started sort of rehearsing, we said to each other, I think we ought to meet, you know, you know, because we didn't know each other as such. 
we, when we met in a pub in London, just off Leicester Square, to just sort of talk about it and have any ideas about how it might go and any ideas. And um, he said, yes, they, uh, Jerry Glaser thinks we should have slight accents. And he said, I'm not sure about that. And I said, I think it's good because um, it, it does distinguish the Germans from the Belgians mm. and, and the English and all the others. Um, and um, it's not if it's not impenetrable, then it's fine. You know, just it just keeps them where they should be. They are Germans, you know. They're not they're not anything else. Um, so we we did that. And when he, when we came to start doing it, I said I said I remember because he had a very funny accent. I said, "Why are you playing it Finnish?" <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I'm, "This is my German accent." <laughs> Because he was not great on accents, I don't think. Yeah. But he had he, he did have a German accent. No, we got on very well together. Yeah, yeah we did. Yeah. You wanted to see me? Yes, my Obrand. Lieutenant Schumacher has been to search Madame Bidu's apartment. Several items were found which he considered interesting. Ah, uh, you've questioned the woman. I understand that when she telephoned, she asked you by name. I find that puzzling. It indicates she had personal knowledge of you. Oh, did, did she say she did? One of the items which uh, Schumacher found was this uh, photograph. When was it taken? May I see it? You knew her son? <laughs> May I see the photograph? How well did you know her son? Herr Stumbenführer, of what am I being accused? I simply want an answer to my question. Did you know Madame Bidou's son? No, I did not. Did you enjoy location filming when you got the opportunity to do it? Oh yes, I loved this. Yes, well, it was nice being in, in uh, well in Europe. I'm not in in England. In, in, in sort of well, we did a bit in Germany, and we did a, uh, quite a lot in Brussels and around Belgium, obviously, at Brussels particularly. Um, and no, that was very enjoyable. No, I, I always, I've always enjoyed being abroad, and that was lovely. On um, Jerry Glaster's Colditz series, the German characters yes. and the British characters were very separate as casts, and even when it, they yes. had parties at Jerry's house, they were separate. I wondered whether it was the same for Secret Army with the Belgian resistance and the Germans, whether there was that separation. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. It was not intentional, but certainly when we started rehearsing it, and you'd have a coffee break, and we all go upstairs to the canteen in the Acton Hilton, the BBC rehearsal rooms, and have a coffee or something, or a glass of wine even. And um, is it, is it, I don't know, it was extraordinary. We used to drift together, the Germans and the Belgians, um, Angela Richard and Bernard Hepsen and Co., drifted to another table or two tables. And we didn't sort of mingle. No, we didn't. So we didn't get to know each other that well. There, there, there was a sort of camaraderie amongst your own sort, you know, among the Belgians and among the Germans, yeah. It's, it's strange, but that, that certainly was true, definitely true. Right, yeah. I seem to recall you mentioning there was some of the, the regalia, some of the Nazi regalia that had to be protected well, I, I, as you know, the German uniforms are very smart and very sort of, um, they're nice to wear. I mean, you feel very good in them because they are smart mm. and they're very well made with good materials and well put together and with lots of badges up, up above the breast 
and the shoulders um, and around the neck. And, uh, and Kessler, of course, had his share of these, including um, an iron cross and um, the, the Nazi, the, the round Nazi, round Nazi badge, which is pinned on below the breast pocket. Um, and um, when we first started uh, the, the series, these would sometimes be nicked from my dressing room after the show. So, sometimes, not always, but now and again. So they realized that these were sort of being a target for certain pilferers, you know. Yeah. So after that, my, my whole costume had to be locked away <laughs> after we finished filming an episode before the next episode, the next day or the next day after that. So they had the whole thing be locked away and that, of course, stopped it. But no, they did. They, they, well, they stole them. Particularly the, particularly the little round Nazi badge was very popular. Uh, it was very much sought after, I think. Hmm. To the memory of your wife and son. To the memory of my wife and son. Monsieur Foire, the same again, please. Certainly, sir. If you'd like to talk about them, please do. I shall be happy to sit and listen. It may help. I remember when my father died. Did you talk about him? No, but looking back now, perhaps I should have done. One must show fortitude, of course. We're not old women to weep and wail, but sometimes just to say something. What? What is there to say? They're dead and gone. All the talk will come to that, all the tears and grieving in the world won't bring them back. I love them both, of course, but it's over. It's in the past. And the past is as dead as they are. Oh, yes! <laughs> Thank you. Ready for your first course, gentlemen? Oh, whenever you like. Gently. Oh, this is really very pleasant. Thank you for a kind invitation. Oh, it seemed the least I could do. I thought you might need taking out of yourself. Time would come for all. To be frank, you're being much more realistic about it than I'd expected. There's no point in being sentimental about things which no longer exist. So, in the second series, you spend more time with the Belgian regulars because you're spending time at the Condide with, with Brandt and yes. this overhearing of conversations. Yes. Did you like the frisson of, of the Germans being at oh, the yes. Condide? With... Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, because we're meeting sort of a... Albert, why? I mean, Bernard Hepton mm. and, and Angela Richards, you know, they come to the table and sometimes serve our food or drink or whatever, you know. And one knew, of course, that there was a frisson. Well, there was a frisson. Because although everything was actually rather quite friendly, you know, underneath <laughs> it wasn't. And actually anything, anything could happen, really. Um, and uh, I thought that was um, very good for the series. It, it created a lovely sort of tension. And the uh, free stores, you say, um, and um, yes, it gave it gave it an, an extra edge, which was lovely. So, into series three, you have you have Reinhardt replacing Brandt. Yes. So you're working yep. with Terence Hardiman. How was that? Yes. It was very good because I suggested it for the part. Actually, ah, ah. I don't know if I told you that I may have done. Um, when Michael was going to leave at the end of series two. 
Um, we all had plenty of notice of this fact. And we knew they, they were going to get a new person to play an equivalent character in series three. And I had a very good friend, Terence Hardiman, who would have worked with a lot of the RSC in Stratford and in London. We were good friends. And I thought he would be, he would be very good as, as um, my sidekick. Well, he's not a sidekick, he's the, yeah. the Luftwaffe officer. Um, and um, I thought, I, well, I, I mentioned it to him, you know, I, would you be interested in doing it if I, if I suggest you to Jerry Glaster? And he, and he, of course, being a, a sort of Cambridge-educated classical actor, I thought he won't, you know, he'll say, no, I, I don't do that sort of thing. But he said, no, I'd, I'd love to, yes, but put me up for it. Or not put me up, but say yes. So I did, I, so I mentioned his name to Jerry Glaster, who then obviously called him in for an interview to see him. And, well, to cut a long story short, he got the part. And, and, and that was great. So he came into series three in quite a big way. He had a nice lot to do. And, um, and he was very good. And a nice sort of, a nice balance to Kessler because he was inherently a much nicer man. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was, he was, um, he wasn't a sadist and he wasn't, well, he, he was a Nazi, obviously, because of his rank and everything, but he wasn't a sadist and he wasn't, um, he wasn't sort of overly nasty, shall we say. He was, he was quite, sort of quite a reasonably nice fellow, actually, I think, with his, with his, with his stomach wound and all that sort of thing. Yes? Hans Dietrich Reinhardt, Meyer Brandt's replacement. Oh, yes, of course. Stummer Björkenstein. Yes, I know who you are. I trust we shall work together cordially, as I did with Major Brandt. Before he shot himself? Before he had reason to shoot himself. Oh, what does that mean? It's not important. Have you just arrived? Uh, last night. Oh, really? Mm. You've not had time to unpack them? Yes, ample time, thank you. But you've not yet had the opportunity to change into the correct uniform. This is the uniform I've worn for the past five years. It's what I'm accustomed to wear, except on formal occasions. No intention of changing. You are not in operations now, Major Reinhardt. In my opinion, flying dress is out of place in your new opinion. Well, we'll have to disagree about that. I wondered that as you went on, whether you had much input into the dialogue and the scripts in terms of, well, oh, I don't think Kessler would say that, or, or this doesn't feel true. Yes, yes. Yes, I did, yes. I got on very well with John Brayson, the scriptwriter, who stayed with us right the way through. Um, he didn't write every single episode, but he was the main writer. And... Um, so he was around a lot, and he was very open to suggestions and uh, welcomed any sort of helpful ideas you might have. But the great thing was he, he understood the character because he had helped to write it. He had not helped, he had, he had written it, yeah. and I had helped to flesh it out as a, as a person in performance. And we, you know, we saw eye to eye about everything, really. So we were able to talk about things um, that... Kessler, I would say, no, he would never do that. Or, that's absolutely perfect, yes, he, that's exactly what he would do or say. And we, and we, we didn't sort of argue much at all, because on the whole, we agreed. Yeah. The, the, the only thing was when we came to the, 
the, the, the sequel, the, the Kessler sequel, which Jerry Glacier said, unfortunately, we don't have the money to make it just after the war, but it should be just after the war. Uh, and it was put into 1975 or something, a much later period, to say, well, the money, it was a money thing, really. Um, and because um, I had thought in that one, and, and Kessler is now 75, or I thought, well, he's that old. If he's going to be the leading man in a, in a, seri- a series, he must have something going for him. He can't be just an old, decrepit yeah. old man. So I, I said to John, I think we should see him as being a bit of a, a fitness freak. I think in his house in Germany, he should have a swimming pool and a gym, you know, all sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And we should see him exercising. And, and John Brainbow's was a marvelous idea. He said, yeah, that's, that's great. Yes, we should do. So he, uh, would, would, he would come in to be reckoned with. And um, unfortunately, again, Jerry Gray said, it's a lovely idea. We don't have the money. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm afraid so yeah. it, it never happened. Then. Yeah. There we are. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I've asked about, uh, about the writing. What about the directing? Were there any directors you particularly relished working with? Yes, they were all pretty nice. I mean, I, I, there was nobody I hated or didn't like. Um, my favourite probably was Tristan Devere Cole, I think, who I liked a lot. Tristan Devere Cole and Michael Bryant was good. Oh, um, well, and he was, he was really nice. They good, yes. Um, and it, it was Michael Bryant, for example, who suggested we ought to have a scene, a, a bedroom scene with Kessler and Madeline, which is not in the script. It was just an ordinary scene in the script, but he said, I think we should see them in bed together. Yeah, um, um, so we, we did, you know, and that was him. Please don't talk as if we struck some sort of bargain. Well, didn't we? If you think so, perhaps we did. No, I'm asking you. For my part, I found kindness, consideration, someone who would treat me as a human being in difficult circumstances in a foreign country. If that was in return for meals and real coffee, so be it. It wasn't. I intend to survive this war. Paul Annette I liked. Oh, of course, Paul Annette, who, who directed Paul the, Annette, yes. the fun one, the, the weekend. Well, it starts off fun anyway with... That's right, yes. He the wrote it. Really yes. Well, he actually wrote it. I mean, he said, I'm writing an episode about yeah. Kessler, he said. Yeah. And he directed it, which was lovely. That was very nice, yes. I liked him a lot. Mm. Mm. Um... So those are the directors, yes. Yeah, indeed. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as you were filming and recording the final series and it was going out on Saturday night, it was prime time, it was a big success, how did you feel about the fact it was coming to an end? Oh, sad, I think definitely. Definitely sad um, because it had been such a wonderful sort of uh, event. I mean, it's been a wonderful experience, a wonderful thing to do. And being so successful and working with such lovely people was marvellous. I mean, you know, we, we made lots of friends. I mean, you know, some of whom I still, you know, still meet. I mean, it's lovely. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it was inevitably, that was inevitably sad, yes. We had a big party at the very end, I remember. Mm. Went out to a restaurant, had a lovely, a lovely do. And that was, that was absolutely great. But then I knew, of course, that they were going to be doing um, Buccaneer, which is another series I was then in. And so we continue now with another story of Buccaneer.
which unfortunately was not that successful. Buccaneer, mm. with Brian Marshall. Yeah. About the airline. Yes. <laughs> the, yeah. the limping airline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but there, there was something that said, one was going out to nothing, which was, which was good. And then shortly after that, they said, we're thinking of making a, a follow-up to Secret Army of Kessler. Well, are you up for this? You know, and well, I said, yes, of course I am. And that, that was marvellous, because that was a lovely finish. Without the final solution, there would be no Israel. Never forget that. It was the guilt of the Allies that gave you your promised land, nothing else. You have no more right to it than the present Normans have to Britain. It doesn't exonerate the genocide. I would remind you that the so-called Nazi scourge liquidated nine million people. The communists have accounted for 137 million at the last count. They make our crimes against humanity look very feeble, don't they? Just do this. You are an evil man. Your whole life has been evil. It is because your philosophy is so plausible that we must fight it. Plausibility is a stock in trade of all creeds. There's nothing more plausible than communism or Christianity. But nothing has done so much villainy. Show me the balance in the great book of the world if you can stomach it. Words, just words. People are sick and tired of them. Your deeds speak for you, Kessler. They speak for the Third Reich and all you stand for. The new Reich will rise again. You'll see. You mean your daughter and her friends? You can forget it. They're slowly being discredited. Nations won't stand for their particular brand of terrorism. It, um, it was a shame it wasn't after the war, because I think that would have been really interesting see how many people like Kessler and their sort of dependents readjusted after the armistice and how they infiltrated back into German society yeah. and became successful businessmen and things, you know, and avoided war crimes, trials and things like that. But that would have been very interesting, I think, but, but there, was, there wasn't the money, I'm afraid. And that didn't happen. I wondered how it was to play an older man because you were a lot younger than Kessler in, oh, yes. in Kessler. How was that? And did you have to? It practice? was very strange. Yeah, it was very strange because I, when I knew they were going to make it in 1975, and not straight after the war, 1945 or six, um, I knew this is this is going to be a problem. We're going to have to do this. They had a very good makeup artist. So I was very happy with the way I looked. I mean, I, I, she did a marvellous makeup job off for me. I was not worried about my appearance. I thought that looked good. But it's the thing of um, behaving like an old man and, you know, um, and yet still retaining some sort of vibrancy as a character who audiences would want to see and get to know and wonder how he's getting on and what's he going to do next kind of thing, you know, they, that he should be interesting. And that's not so easy. So, well, I just, I did I did what I could. I, mean, mm. I think in the end it worked reasonably well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. 
it must have been felt good to have the titular role in the series. Did you feel any pressure? Did you feel any pressure for it to be a success because it was the title role? Yes, I did. Of course, yeah, yeah, I did definitely. Um, yes, I did, and um, I missed some of the old cast. That was one thing I, I have to say. Yeah, because you had virtually new cast, as you know, with Alison Glenny and and others um, playing my daughter. And um, we didn't have Madeline at all, and um, a whole lot of uh, other people pursuing Kessler, like Alan Doby and uh, well, the two Israeli girls. Um, and that was not as exciting for me, or not as not as interesting, shall we say? It was okay, you know, but it was not quite the same as the wonderful sort of camaraderie we had had in Secret Army. Going back to Secret Army for my final question, why do you think Secret Army was such a successful series? And why do you think there are so many books about TV in which people have written that Secret Army was one of the best TV drama series that was ever made? I think it's because it has all the right ingredients for a successful series. It has very good writing based on mainly facts things which actually did happen, so we know they are real and true, a very, and a very good writer who wrote very well for his characters. He knew them inside out, and he wrote believable dialogue, not stilted, um, kind of um, artificial dialogue, real dialogue. Um, and then it had a very good cast, I think, well, more than very good, I think, extremely good cast, um, all the way through, I mean, every single character beautifully played um, and most of them the sort of people audiences could identify with um, quite easily so that's the second thing and the sort of production values I think were very good as well I mean using the restaurant in Brussels in the Grand Place in Brussels was was a wonderful idea when that sort of all happened um, and, and so that you get this meeting of the Germans and the Belgians in, in one sort of venue, the, the restaurant, um, was, a, was a huge sort of plus. It, it, it lent an enormous amount of free song to the whole story and authenticity as well. So I think it was, um, it was authentic and it was entertaining. And it was well-written and well-performed and directed, I think. Well, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Clifford, for spending some time today to share your memories of Secret Army and Kessler. Thank you. Not at all, no, you're very welcome. enjoyed these podcast interview extras if you have do please let us know at tv drama pod on twitter and you never know we might be encouraged to record some more to accompany future episodes take care and bye for now